it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and it's Wednesday, which means Armchair Politics is coming up in about an hour for two hours of commentary and analysis on the uh, world of politics, uh, various headlines from politics and and, uh, current events, and uh, Let's see, we have our uh, roundtable will include uh, East Village Magazine Consulting Editor Jan Worth Nelson will be joining our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about the economy and uh, joining me by phone as he uh, does typically the first Wednesday uh, of the month, we have... um, economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Great to be back. Um, The first thing I want to ask you about is I I just saw something in the news that said the K is turning into a V. What does it mean when we talk about the economy being K-shaped or V-shaped? So that describes the shape of the economic recovery. So there's various shapes people will use to describe the recovery. K-shape means some people go up and then some people go down. Thinking the recovery is going to be very unequal. 
Uh, um, okay. There will be, you know, the top 1% perhaps is on the upward sloping part of the K, and everyone else is on the bot downward sloping part of the K, whereas a V-shaped recovery, um, everyone is recovering. Everyone's on the upslope. And the V means it's a sharp recovery, you know, the sharp point at the bottom of the V. So quick contraction, quick recovery. That contrasted with a U-shaped recovery, which is a longer downturn because it's not a point at the bottom of the U. It's a flat slope before the economy begins recovering. People have talked about an L-shaped recovery. That means there's no recovery. It's just flatlined at the bottom. People have talked about a Nike swoosh recovery. That's sometimes been described to describe the recovery after the Great Recession 12 years ago because it's a sharp contraction and then a very slow recovery, so it looks like a Nike swoosh. So lots of shapes are used to describe potential recoveries following a recession, but V is the best. Now, I'm reading characterizations that um, that say in, in President Biden's first 100 days, the economy is, is uh, notching its fastest first quarter GDP growth in nearly four decades, uh, like, like since the Kennedy administration. What does, is there something significant? about those two things, about how the economy is performing and Biden's first 100 days? Are those two things related at all? Uh, I don't think they're closely related, but potentially in the sense that in March, uh, I guess that's two months ago at this point, it's hard to believe it's May already, uh, but there was a $2 trillion COVID relief bill signed into law. Um, Americans got uh, big relief checks plus the expansion of the of the um, child tax credit, you know, plus aid to state and local governments, plus aid to small businesses, plus unemployment aid, and so forth. <clears throat> so, if you dump two trillion dollars into the economy like that, which represents about half of yearly government spending during a normal year, you know, there's going to be um, an economic effect from that. You know, that will, at least in the short run, stimulate economic activity. People will try to spend that money. State and local governments will spend that money. Businesses will spend that money. So that will kind of goose economic activity. So I guess the question is, is how long does it last? Is it transitory? Is it permanent? Um, it's hard to know, but I think some of that's going on. But I think bigger picture, it's the vaccine that's driving the economic recovery. And that with more and more Americans becoming vaccinated, I think something about a third of all Michiganders are fully vaccinated at this point. Well, people will feel safe going out and about, resuming their normal lives, you know, going back to restaurants, traveling. Again, the CDC says you can travel fully vaccinated, although I'm sure lots of people are even traveling before that. But it's really the vaccines that are driving the long-term economic recovery. And the fact that the recovery in the first quarter is the fastest in 40 years is not that surprising, given that the contraction we saw a year ago in April 2020 was the fastest contraction since the Great Depression. So right. the faster, the steeper the contraction, the faster the recovery. And and you mentioned vaccines and the positive impact they're having on the economy, but now we're starting to see stories of uh, uh people willing to get vaccinations uh, leveling off, will that have a similar effect on the economy? Will the economy then level off if uh, 
if if all of a sudden there's a slowdown in in reaching herd immunity? Yeah, I hate to give you the classic economist answer, but it depends. <laughs> and and we're getting to it early, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I know. The first five minutes in, we're already at that answer. Uh, it just depends on what the effect is of a significant group of people not being vaccinated. If you're talking you know, 10% of people refuse the vaccine, if, that, if that's not a large enough percentage to really cause problems, you know, that it won't make much of the, much of an effect. But if it's a significant percentage of people not getting vaccinated, um, and the problem with the vaccine too, or an issue with the vaccines is that it seems like the vaccine immunity is not super long lasting in the sense that, you know, after a, a year or so, you might need a booster shot. So if you have like this group of people not being vaccinated, you know, which is letting the disease fester at the same time that the current vaccinated people are seeing their immunity wear off. Well, that could lead to some problems. So even before COVID, you had this issue of people not getting vaccinated. You'd have communities out west for some reason where you'd have like this cluster of people who wouldn't get their kids vaccinated for things like mumps and measles. So you'd see like pockets of those pop up in those communities. So if the same thing happens with COVID, yeah, that would put the brakes on the economic recovery. So it's more about vaccine science. How many, you know, what's the critical mass in terms of the percentage of Americans who need to get vaccinated to make this thing go away versus this thing just kind of lingering and having outbreaks pop up here and there. Well, and Anthony Fauci um, was a, a little wishy-washy uh, just recently. I, I saw him on television and he was saying herd immunity meant 70 to 85 percent of Americans fully vaccinated. That seems like kind of a big spread to me. I've been hearing 70 for months, and then all of a sudden it's yeah. 70 to 85. Yeah, I think communication has been a huge problem throughout this entire pandemic, and that it seems like we can't get clear goalposts that have to be met in order for things to get back to normal. Uh, Fauci early in the pandemic had a lower threshold for herd immunity and that he walked that back saying, well, the American public wasn't prepared to hear the actual number. Well, that's a good way to breed mistrust. It's skepticism because once it's <clears throat> discovered that you're not being forthright, people are just going to stop believing what you have to say. And that's a real problem for the nation's leading uh, medical authority. Uh, it's kind of like the Surgeon General early in, early in the pandemic that sent out a tweet telling people not to buy masks. Well, you know, two months later, now everyone has to mask up. And that's a great way to lose credibility and get people to be skeptical about about the efficacy of wearing masks. So I think another problem with vaccines is that there are side effects with the vaccine, um, especially with the second shot. Um, I had my second shot a few weeks ago. There were some mild side effects. It wasn't anything major. But... And, you know, I, um, my significant other was out for about three days after the second shot, and I had no side effects at all. Yeah, it's strange. Some people get hit, some people don't. It's hard to know. It could just be randomness. But, you know, these vaccines were approved by FDA emergency approval, so they did go through the standard clinical trial pro process. So that's not to say you shouldn't get vaccinated. I think you should. But there are some risks, just like any, any other new drug. You know, there's a potential for side effect, longer-term side effects that aren't known. So if people decide whether or not to get the vaccine, they weigh 
the benefit with the risk, but the communication from really the CDC and the medical establishment saying, well, if you get vaccinated, your life is unchanged. You still have to wear a mask. Um, you still have to practice social distancing. You, know, you still have to avoid big crowds. So there's a lot of people out there saying, well, if I get a vaccine, you know, what's that really doing for me? You know, there's really no benefit. I still have to put this stinking mask on. I still can't go to my favorite restaurant. I still can't go to a baseball game. Uh, why should I undertake that risk if, you know, life is really unchanged after I get my first and second shot? So I think it would go a long way to get people to take the vaccine if after taking the vaccine, well, maybe you don't have to wear your mask anymore. Does it help when you have uh, uh, organizations like the CDC, for example, um, putting requirements that people can travel if they're fully vaccinated? I think it helps in the sense that that incentivizes people to get the vaccine because that's one more step to returning to normal. Uh, but I think the problem right now is the CDC's blowed a lot of its credibility due to some unforced errors, particularly early in the pandemic. Um, you know, back in January and February, lots of people knew that this thing was coming. So the CDC developed some tests to try to identify COVID early so it could be stamped out before it became widespread. Well, it turned out those tests were faulty. Um, the CDC developed the test in the same laboratory, apparently, that um, the virus was being studied in. So the tests were contaminated. Then it took another three to four weeks to get the right tests out, which totally blew that early window of opportunity to stamp out COVID before it became widespread. So just errors like that cause people to not trust the CDC, which I think is understandable. So when the CDC says, well, you can travel after getting your vaccine, a lot of people might be saying, well, big deal, I've been doing that anyway. You know, why should I listen to what the CDC says? And in fact, if you go back a year, March and April 2020, when the pandemic was the worst, you know, the airplanes were still flying. You could still board a plane and travel cross country. Um, air travel never shut down. Um, lots of people stopped traveling due to concerns about being infected. Plus, if everything shut down, what's the point of getting on an airplane just to go sit in the hotel room while the destinations are closed? But the one thing you can't really avoid is the mask. You know, you can't that was go happening. to a grocery store. That was happening to a lot of people that went to Hawaii. They had a two-week quarantine order so if yeah. you flew into hawaii say you've got two weeks vacation and you're going to go spend it in hawaii you had to spend the whole two weeks quarantined in your hotel room yeah two weeks <laughs> is probably longer than most people's vacation i've never taken a two-week vacation so if i was good to hawaii it'd be kind of like a week thing at most so you know what do you do quarantine for your vacation to hop on a plane and go back and look out your hotel window and say well at least i got to see the ocean right um, but yeah i mean just saying that that fully vaccinated people didn't have to quarantine. I think that would be that would go a long way for getting people to get vaccinated. So I think these individual incentives are important, and you know those don't seem very forthcoming. So a lot of people say, you know, "Why should I take the risk of getting the vaccine? There might be side effects where, right? You know, if I take it versus I don't take it, hey, you know, Chris, my life is unchanged." Chris, I got to jump in here and take a break. Can you stick around because there's lots more to talk about? Oh sure. Chris Douglas is uh, an economist from the University of Michigan Flint. We'll have more with Chris about uh, about the economy and armchair politics coming up later in the show. But first, 
a short break. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. 
and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with uh, economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint, uh, who joins me by phone. Chris, welcome back. Hey, great to be here, Tom. Um, we were talking about, uh, you know, this this idea that the economy is is uh, is really roaring in the uh, the first quarter with the fastest uh, first quarter GDP growth in uh, decades and and one prediction uh, says uh, let's see who is it oxford economics is predicting u.s gdp will grow at an average pace of seven and a half percent in 2021 which you know is is huge um but yet there are a lot of people who aren't feeling it yet um what what's going on there? How how can it be, you know, booming at a record pace, and there are people who don't really notice the difference? Yes, I think that's true for every economic recovery. It was certainly true for the recovery following the Great Recession twelve years ago. But if you look at this recession with COVID. The set the sector of the economy that got hit the hardest was the lower wage sector, you know, the service sector, because those were the businesses that got shut down, the bars, the restaurants, the retail establishments, leisure and hospitality, you know, people who are working lower wage hourly jobs. And those are the sectors of the economy that are the slowest to reopen. You know, bars and restaurants, at least in Michigan, have reopened, but there's still capacity restraints. There's still restraints on how long they can be opened. I think that they could only be open till 11 o'clock now. I don't know if that's been loosened. So given that that's the hardest hit sector of the economy and the slowest to recover, um, you know, the recovery is not going to be felt evenly across everyone. You know, there are some people who didn't really suffer any loss of job or income during the shutdown. You know, people who work in white-collar type jobs, salary jobs, who are able to transition from working in an office building to working at home. Um, you know, they kept their job, kept their income, so there's not much of a recovery in that sector of the economy. So given that the shutdown hit people unevenly, um, the recovery is going to be uneven as well. And those sectors that are the slowest to recover, perhaps because there are still restrictions, are going to be the ones that feel the recovery the least. Um, there's lots of people who lost their businesses during the shutdown, people who just ran out of cash and said, well, I can't make the rent payment anymore. I can't keep the lights on anymore. So if you lost the family restaurant that's been the family for two generations, sure, the economy might come roaring back at 7% in, the, in 2021, but that doesn't do a whole lot for you if your business is just gone. You were talking uh, in the last segment about how... Uh, um a uh, a very fast paced recovery is to be expected when you have um, a, a very fast paced uh, dip. Uh, you know when you're when you're coming back from something that's 
you know, the bottom dropped out of the economy so rapidly and, and so much of the economy was affected. And then when we start to return to normal, it comes back very quickly because it, you know, every, every gain is, is a huge gain. Um, but what, what does it look like when we have, um, like New York City uh, making an announcement that they're going to just open everything by July 1st. Um, will things start coming back for uh, the the people at the, at the bottom of the pay range um, more quickly when those things start to happen? Or, or does that impact uh, the broader economy in any way? Yeah, again, classic economist answer, so we'll do it five minutes into the second segment, so we did it five minutes into the first <laughs> segment, but it, de- it depends. So I think there's a couple things that happened in New York City that might slow the recovery despite the widespread reopening, and that is there seems to be, uh, for lack of a better term, a mass exodus from New York City um, during the last year where people just move to either their surrounding suburbs or an entirely new state. Um, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but um, there was net migration out of New York City um, during the shutdown for a variety of reasons. You know, the shutdown was one of the strictest in New York City, so people wanted to move somewhere where the restrictions were a little bit less severe. Um, Being cooped up at a 500-square-foot studio apartment in New York City that you're paying $2,000 a month rent on, is it super appealing during a pandemic? In normal economic times, it might be fine since, there's lots of things going on in New York City, so you just basically use the studio apartment to sleep. But if you're locked into your studio 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you might get a little stir-crazy to look for somewhere else to go. Um, also, crime has been an issue. You know, New York City had a lot of civil unrest um, last summer with the widespread civil unrest that the rest of the nation saw. So that always turns people off. So if New York City suffers a permanent loss of population... Well, reopening might not cause the city to come roaring back because there's going to be less demand for things that make New York, New York City popular. You know, things like the theater, things like restaurants, you know, things like various attractions. Uh, if people work at home, um, the demand for office buildings in, say, lower Manhattan is going to be less. So if you think about the major industry for New York City, it's really you know, white-collar office jobs, people working in office buildings. And if that's not happening um, because of this work-from-home, which might be permanent even after things return to normal with COVID, well, then that's going to be really hard for New York City to come back, regardless of how many people you could have at a restaurant or a bar. What about, uh, I, I keep reading about, uh, we saw it uh, with some shutdowns of uh, GM plants and, and so on in Detroit, um, because of uh, computer chip shortages. What about some of the material shortages like computer chips? How are they going to impact the rate at, wis- at which uh, recovery occurs? Yeah, that's a problem too. So there's lots of these supply chain disruptions rippling through the global economy. Uh, just because the global economy is a complicated organism, the global supply chain is extremely complicated and it's fairly fragile because you know 20 or so years ago 
companies move to what's called just-in-time inventory, which means they don't have warehouses full of spare parts. You know, they get the parts exactly when they need them for the production process. The thinking being, well, that's a more efficient way to produce goods. You're not paying all this cost to just store parts. Well, the problem is, is that's a pretty fragile supply chain. And that the supply chain gets disrupted, well, you're out of luck. You have no parts to produce, say, cars. So that's what's going on with computer chips. So a year ago, apparently what happened was um, people thought that car sales were going to slump during the pandemic, just like they do at every other recession. Um, car sales 12 years ago during the Great Recession got hammered. You know, they go from like 16, 17 million car sales per year down to like 8 million per year. So people were thinking, well, that's what's going to happen with COVID. So that's going to result in a surplus of computer chips. But with the stay at home with COVID, there's going to be a surging demand for things like new computers, things like big screen TVs, home entertainment devices, so people could watch Netflix while cooped up. So we'll take that surplus of computer chips from the automotive industry and ship it to the consumer electronics industry. So that surge in demand for consumer electronics did happen. But the slump in auto sales never happened. So now the auto companies are like, well, actually, we needed all these computer chips. But now the computer chips are in short supply, in part due to this just-in-time in inventory, where there's been no inventories of computer chips built up. So at some, at some point, automakers aren't going to be able to produce cars anymore, or at least fewer cars than before, which is going to put the brakes on the economic recovery because if someone wants to go buy, say, a new pickup truck, they're not going to be able to because there's no computer chip for it or chips because multiple chips go into a new car. So you'll have, like, these half-finished cars sitting on parking lots around the country and production workers being idled because they have no parts used to make cars. So those hiccups uh, will cause the economy to slow down and it will cause prices to rise. So that's something that's been touched on by Fed Chair Powell and Treasury Secretary Yellen when talking about inflation, where they said inflation will be quote-unquote transitory, you know, meaning that we have like these supply chain disruptions like computer chips. They're causing prices of vital goods to rise. But once all that's ironed out, well, then we should expect the inflation to go down again. So, yeah, the short answer is you know, these computer chip issues will cause the economic recovery to be disappointing, and it might cause prices to rise. And if we're lucky, they'll just be kind of a short-term thing until all this gets ironed out. When uh, inflation is being uh, predicted, and, and, uh, and you mentioned uh, Janet Yellen uh, predicting inflation, is inflation caused solely by supply and demand, or... Is it the response to a previous deflation? Um, so traditional economic thinking says inflation is caused by an increase in the money supply. Um, I mean, the intuition is pretty straightforward. If the Federal Reserve just cranks up the printing presses, prints money, dumps it onto the economy, more money means each individual unit of money is worth less than before. So as a result, you have to fork over more units of money to buy a good or service, which means prices have risen, thus inflation. And I think that's true still, which is one reason why I'm quite concerned that the Federal Reserve has just blown up the money supply during the pandemic. You know, the money supply has increased by about $2.5 trillion over the last year. That's nearly a 50% increase. It's something like almost one out of every $2 ever created 
in the history of the United States were created during the last year. You know, that's a bit disconcerting, and if the old economic thinking is true, that inflation comes from an increase in the money supply, well, that suggests that inflation won't be transitory. You know, it's going to be a permanent thing. Uh, but the inflation that Yellen and Powell are talking about really isn't inflation in the traditional sense. Inflation means the persistent increases in prices across the economy due to, like I said, a rapid growth in the money supply. But you could have prices increase in the economy due to just supply and demand reasons. You know, if you think back to when there's hurricanes in the U.S. that disrupt oil production, well, that will cause gas prices to rise, but we wouldn't say that's inflationary. We would just say, well, that's a price increase due to a supply problem. When the supply problem gets resolved, prices will come down, and that's what happens with gas prices, too, after a hurricane. So the inflation Yellen and Powell are talking about is that type of inflation. They're saying, well, there are going to be these supply issues due to the supply chain disruptions. That will cause prices to rise over a short period of time, just like gas prices during a hurricane. But once these supply issues are resolved, well, then prices will come right back down again, you know, just like gas prices after the hurricane is all over. So hopefully they're right, although I think there are some disconcerting signs that, well, inflation might be here for the long haul. You know, President Biden, I think we may have talked about this before, um, said uh, in the last few weeks that he expects people to be able to gather in small groups, you know, some family and, and a few friends, and, and be able to cook out um, for uh, the 4th of July. And uh, New York City is saying it's going to, you know, lift all the restrictions on uh, businesses and venues uh, effective July 1st. Um, do you think we're going to see a lot of starts and stops as, as we begin to uh, move beyond the, the shutdown of the pandemic? Uh, I want to say no, only the sense that I think government guidelines at this point are largely being ignored in the sense that I don't think there's a whole lot of people out there saying, I would have a barbecue on the 4th of July, but the CDC says I can't. Like, maybe that happens. Um, I'm sure it happens in um, some cities like New York City, maybe in San Francisco, some of the bluer cities, if you will, who seem to be following these restrictions more closely. But just looking around Michigan and probably similar states, uh, you see people gathering, you see people having barbecues, and I don't think people are really listening to the CDC if they're saying, well, you can have a barbecue, but there's a mask. You have to wear a mask or something like that, or you could have a barbecue assuming everyone's vaccinated. So in that sense, I don't think you'll see a lot of starts and stops if people are just kind of ignoring those guidelines to begin with. And I think you're also seeing in some of the coastal cities where the guidelines are being ignored in the other direction, I just saw a report of a city in Connecticut where the CDC said, well, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear your mask outdoors. Well, in Michigan, no one's been doing that in the first place, at least as far as I can tell. But it must be a different story in the East Coast because that city in Connecticut said, well, we're not going to remove the mask mandate for outdoor activities, despite what the CDC says. So I think you're having this weird situation in America where you're getting like this split in terms of what people are doing. You have one side of the split where people are just kind of ignoring guidelines, 
they'll wear a mask indoors just not to get hassled. But if it's outdoors, they're not wearing a mask. If it's an outdoor barbecue, well, they'll do that. Maybe an indoor family gathering, they'll do that too. And then on the other hand, you have places like that city of Connecticut where even if the CDC says, hey, we could loosen up, they're not loosening up. You know, they're just acting like it's April 2020 all over again. So I think that's a bit disconcerting if just everyone's ignoring what the CDC is saying and just kind of doing what their political preferences dictate they do. Getting back to what we were talking about at the at the very beginning of the hour um, with regard to this, uh, uh, the American economy, economic recovery and this uh, idea of the fastest first quarter GDP growth in nearly four decades. Um, What's significant about GDP growth uh, versus um, the, the deficits that we're running up getting this money into the economy through um, the um, well, the CARES Act and, and, and then, you know, more recently, uh, uh, the, um, oh, what was it, $2 trillion uh, in COVID relief funding. And, the, and then coming up, this, uh, uh, the possibility of this uh, infrastructure bill. Um, what does it say if GDP is, is stronger when we're spending money that we're maybe not as sure as we should be about how we're going to pay it back. Yeah, that's an issue. Um, We tend to care about GDP growth because we think that increases living standards because GDP is just the value of all final goods and services produced in the economy during a, during a year. So if you look at how income is generated, income is generated by producing goods and services. So, Faster GDP growth means growth in output, but also growth in income. And I think everyone gets why higher income increases standard of living, because it allows you to buy more stuff to live a better lifestyle, which again ties the concept of income to output. We have more income because more output's being produced that we can then, then consume. So that's the traditional explanation for why we care about GDP. It gives us more income, more stuff to consume, and in general, we think that makes us better off. But it's disconcerting that if the only way we're generating GDP growth is by running massive trillion-dollar deficits, we might say how much of this GDP growth is real versus artificial in the sense that we're producing GDP growth by just printing a ton of money and then just dumping it onto the economy and giving it to people to spend. So if you look at the March 2021 COVID release bill, you know, there are people out there, families out there, receiving $10,000 plus from the federal government. Um, it's, I forget the exact amount of the check. I think it's $2,000 roughly was the check. There's three rounds of checks. I get the numbers confused in my head. Uh, but that was a check per individual. So husband, wife, kids, each one gets a check. And then the COVID relief bill also expands the child tax credit to $3,600 to kids under six. And $3,000 for kids over six, which means come tax time, you get extra 3600 bucks in your tax refund if you have a child under six and 3000 bucks in your tax refund for each child over six. So you could be getting $15,000 from the government 
as a combination of all those provisions. And just that last release bill, that's on top of everything you got from the first two ones. So that's $15,000 people have to spend, which increases consumption spending, um, which increases GDP. And you would say, well, does that really represent a sustainable increase in GDP? Or is it really just goosing the economy because of all this money printing and deficit spending? What happens if the federal government, the Federal Reserve, tries to turn that off? Will we be in a real problem? And I think that's a very real concern. Chris, the, um, in the process of measuring recovery going forward, are there people that fell out of the, the counting categories during the pandemic, and, and how will that impact tracking recovery? Yeah, I think people um, kind of did fall um, between the cracks. Um, during the pandemic, which I think is going to be a real problem. I think probably the biggest problem is uh, school children. Um, schools shut early in the pandemic. There's been fits and starts, whether they reopen. Um, some schools have never reopened. Some have reopened, switched back to virtual. It seems like it kind of goes back and forth. Um, but there's a large percentage of K-12 students who school districts just have no idea what happened to them. I mean, I forget the exact percentage, but it's a disconcertingly large percentage. You know, something like, you know, 10, 15, 20% of kids just disappeared off the radar. Um, because for lots of families, sure, they could switch to virtual learning. If you live in a, you know, fairly large suburb, you have high-speed internet, uh, computers, tablets, and so forth. Well, maybe it's doable. But if you're a student in a rural area, you know, broadband's not accessible, maybe you're a lower income, you don't have a computer, well, virtual learning becomes very, very difficult. Um, lots of those families might have moved, taken a, you know, taken a different job somewhere else, moved in with families, and since the schools weren't open, schools just lost track of these kids. And I think it's going to be very difficult to figure out what happened to them you know, get them back on track. There's been a lot of concern about, you know, a lost year of learning for these students, which is a real problem given that, you know, this is a pretty impressionable age. You know, a lost year of learning for a first grader, you know, that's a lot because that's where you learn how to read, learn how to work with basic numbers. You know, that's a gap that might never be recovered. So I think that's the biggest concern about people who slipped through the cracks um, during this pandemic and these shutdowns is, these school kids who their education is going to be very difficult to recover. Good point. And uh, Chris, we're going to have to uh, kind of wrap it up here, but uh, um, we'll get back together in another month and see where we are then. Okay. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Chris. Uh, you're welcome. Take care. You too. That was economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint talking about economic recovery in the U.S. Uh, as we start the process of uh, reopening in the wake of uh, this this uh, horrible pandemic. Um, coming up at the uh, top of the hour, two hours of commentary and analysis on political headlines and current events with our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Joined by uh, Janworth Nelson from 
East Village Magazine. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're uh, streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. More of the Tom Sumner Program is coming right up. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. 
The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Selling out is easy to do. It's not so hard to find a buyer for you. When money talks, you're under its spell. Ah, but what do you have when there's nothing left to sell? Selling out. I'd rather call it compromise. Is easy to do. Sometimes you have to close your eyes. It's not so hard. Being rich is no disgrace. To find a buyer for you. Put on your shoes and join the race. When money talks, it has a very soothing voice. You're under its spell. It's up to you to make the choice. Ah, but what do you have when there's nothing left to sell? Break the rules People who try are fools When you get older Maybe then you will see I've always found ideals Don't take the place of meals That's how it is And how it will always be It's so nice to have integrity I'll tell you why If you really have integrity, it means your price is very high. So remember when you start to preach and moralize that we all are in the game and brother, its name is compromise. It's so nice to have integrity. I'll tell you why. It's not so hard. Good evening and welcome to the Money Programme. Tonight, on the Money Programme, we're going to look at money. Lots of it, on film and in the studio. Some of it in nice piles, others in lovely clanky bits of loose change. Some of it neatly counted into fat little hundreds, delicate fivers stuffed into bulging wallets, nice crisp clean checks, pert pieces of copper coinage thrust deep into trouser pockets, romantic foreign money rolling against the thigh with rough familiarity, beautiful wayward calliculed banknotes, filigree copper plating cheek by jowl with tumbling hexagonal milled edges rubbing gently against the terse leather of beautifully balanced bank books. Sorry. I love money. All money. I've always wanted money. To handle, to touch, the smell of the rainwashed florin, the lure of the lira, 
the glitter and the glory of the guinea, the romance of the rouble, the feel of the franc, the heel of the Deutschmark, the cold antiseptic sting of the Swiss franc, and the sunburned splendor of the Australian dollar. I've got... Ninety thousand pounds in my pyjamas. I've got forty thousand French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutschmark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. Nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must hanker for the bunchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, round, round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phrase. But it's money, money, money makes the world go Money, 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 money. I wanted to get some new girlfriends So I went and bought a Mercedes Benz A waste of money Eight thousand bucks down the drain I thought the girls would get wild and reckless So I bought cultured pearls and a diamond necklace A waste of money That cost me four thousand more They were returned I got no girls they repossessed Both the car and the pearls I styled my hair just like Cary Grant's Bought a pair of those new tight pants A waste of money Household finance took my pants <laughs> The female gender I just don't get it Just when I'm out Of both cash and credit I found a honey And this is what's funny She don't need my money She works for household finance <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
You pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 